2: Live from Washington, thank you for joining us today on Bloomberg Sound On, where we have a deal. The U.S. and the European Union announcing what is a five-year truce in a long-running dispute over subsidies to the tube league, big airplane manufacturers Airbus, of course based in France, and Boeing, based here in the U.S., it's in Chicago. Under the deal, the U.S. and the EU agree to stop subsidizing the development of all future passenger aircraft. But why does it matter? Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo tells Bloomberg's David Weston Today exclusively that this deal will mean more jobs.
0: With respect to China, we will continue to do business with them, and that is in our interest. You know, we have a tremendous amount of exports to China and uh, that's important for American businesses and American jobs, and so we need to, you know, agree where we can find agreement and do business in all possible ways with China.
2: And jobs are good. We all want jobs. But there is more to this story. And joining us to talk about it, former Commerce Secretary Carlos Gutierrez, who is now Executive Chairman of Empath, a company he co-founded that makes skills intelligence software. Secretary, welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This trade dispute involving Airbus and Boeing intensified under the Trump administration. But it's important to look back a little bit to be clear. This goes back 17 years, a long time before Donald Trump was ever elected.
3: Yeah, this has been around for 17 years, and uh, you said it well. It's a truce. It's kind of a ceasefire uh, for five years, which is good. It comes at a time when the uh, when the uh, the plane industry is at the lowest point it's been that anyone can remember because of COVID. Uh, inventories are very high, sales are very low, so it's a bit of a relief. Uh, They'll have fewer tariffs to pay. It's not going to solve the whole problem. Uh, And it also shows some goodwill uh, on on behalf of both sides. However, uh, it's interesting that everything else was left in place, the steel tariffs, the aluminum tariffs. Uh, So it was just this airplane deal, this plane deal, the subsidies deal that was taken off the table for five years, but we still have a lot of trade tensions with the European Union.
2: I'm going to ask you about those tariffs in a moment. Uh, but is Secretary Raimondo correct about jobs with regard to this deal? How does this help workers because these, the companies are paying less and therefore have more money to hire?
3: Well, that's the theory. And, and, but, but what they're paying in tariffs is nothing compared to what they've suffered in terms of uh, decline in sales. Uh, that has been brutal. Uh, and it has had a ripple effect, not just in Boeing, but all of their suppliers throughout the world, uh, who in many cases are small businesses. But uh, the, the real solution here is to get the, uh, the airline business back in shape, uh, to get planes uh, sold again. Uh, that's what's going to get jobs uh, back. This is a I, you know, I don't want to minimize it. It's a nice achievement. It's something that hasn't been done in 17 years. But it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a patchwork.
2: I am talking with former Commerce Secretary Carlos Gutierrez. I'm assuming you still think it's worth it. Uh, and there's more to this story. It, it's China, which I understand is trying to become a major player in aerospace. There's a state-sponsored commercial aircraft corporation that China wants to see become much more successful. Does this deal make Boeing more competitive?
3: Well, uh, not until they get uh, you know not, not until they get sales up, it uh, it makes them competitive in the sense that they're they're not paying tariffs anymore and they don't have this dispute. But no, uh, I, I think to be competitive against uh, a, a new competitor out of China, the whole C nineteen series. It's going to take, uh, you know, that that changes the whole game because up until now it's been it's been two companies, Airbus and Boeing, and they own the worldwide market for everything from 737s all the way to wide-bodied planes. Um, The C19 will come into into effect uh, in about a year, so it's going to take some time. It'll take uh, years, perhaps decades, before China becomes a major competitor to Boeing and Airbus mm-hmm. and uh, you know China is a huge market for Boeing and ch- chances are they'll probably lose that market to the c-19 so it, it will disrupt the the, the worldwide plane uh, uh, business for you know for a long long time assuming coma is uh, is successful and uh, it probably will be because it's
2: government-sponsored interesting to see boeing stock up a dollar and a half today so obviously that's down the yeah. road but let's talk about these tariffs for a moment trade representatives for the us and the eu say they are committed to remove them uh, tariffs that that began with this dispute over steel and aluminum essentially by year's end now those were imposed under the trump administration secretary the eu retaliated with tariffs of its own do you believe that these tariffs hurt or help american businesses
3: i i think they hurt um, you know, and, and again, there, there may be some, uh, some communities that are helped uh, because not as many imports will be coming in. Uh, but on a macro basis, uh, it, it makes us pay higher prices. It disrupts supply chains. Uh, it increases trade tensions throughout the world. Uh, Other countries who may not be in the middle of these disputes, and there are quite a few who are, Mm -hmm. uh, seem to have a license. You know, if the U.S., uh, who has been the world champion for free trade, starts putting in tariffs, which which frankly are not in line with WTO rules. Uh, You know, it's hard to make a claim that steel and aluminum are national security issues. So that has opened the door for other countries to put in tariffs and to really take a step back from everything we had achieved with the WTO. So, no, I've I've never thought these tariffs are good. And, and frankly, I'm surprised that that President Biden has not taken these away because this was a Trump initiative. Everyone knows it was emotional, chaotic, uh, tactical – and uh, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that we haven't started reversing those, uh, all those tariffs that we have with many countries.
2: We'll see if it turns out to be a valuable bargaining chip at some point, I guess. But, right. Secretary, prices are rising with or without tariffs. And I'd like to ask you about that in a more general sense. You were the CEO of Kellogg in a former life. Yep. You understand commodity prices, everything from copper to corn, have been rising significantly. And some think they may, in fact have peaked. Do you believe that? And if not, what do we do about it?
3: Well, you know, we still don't know. The big debate is whether inflation is uh, transitory or whether it's going to stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, the debate is out and no one really knows. On one hand, we have labor shortages, which is never good. Uh, that will, that will uh, uh, increase um, uh, compensation. It will increase income um potentially impacting hiring, uh, prices are going up, uh, inventories at an all-time low. Uh, there are shortages everywhere. And then the big thing is there is so much money supply in the economy. And savings the savings rate is at an all-time high of I think it's 16 percent, which is you know huge compared to uh, the past. So uh, whether that money will be used to spend, whether people have pent-up demand that they've built up throughout COVID uh, and they're just waiting to go out and buy a car or go out to uh, vacation and just spend the money, uh, eventually the velocity is going to catch up, and that's what's going to drive inflation. Uh, One indicator to look at is whether labor shortages continue and whether uh, income uh, and, and wages rise, uh, say, around July, August. If that happens, then I think we're in for a longer ride with inflation. But it, it, my sense is that it's going to be hard to avoid at least some period of inflation. And look, for some companies, it will be a welcome uh, event because they haven't been able to take price increases for a long time. Uh, Even though their own internal inflation is growing, they're increasing wages every year. Uh, Other things are growing inside the company. So in some ways, a little bit of inflation is not bad for for some companies.
2: Well, if you're running Kellogg these days, you probably know that the box uh, of cereal is going to cost more money at some point in the coming months here. But if the Federal Reserve, which is going to tell us, you know, the, the, the results of its meeting tomorrow, thinks this is transitory, then interest rates will not rise. And prices, however, uh, will continue to move on their own. It's something that is really confounding the markets right now. Uh, Secretary, would you hike prices on a box of cereal today? We only have 30 seconds left knowing what you know now.
3: Oh, I'm sure of that. If, 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 uh, if corn is going up and uh you know commodities wheat are going up they
2: have to it's inevitable former commerce secretary carlos gutierrez many thanks for being with us i'm joe matthew live from washington thank you for joining us on bloomberg sound on the main event this week for the white house road show in europe will certainly be the big meeting tomorrow with vladimir putin we've spent a lot of time talking about it big pre-game show for this meeting but deals like the one announced today that we just discussed with Carlos Gutierrez ending a 17-year trade dispute with our partners in Europe could actually have a bigger and more immediate impact on the U.S. economy and on jobs. And that's where we start with our panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is with us, along with Democratic strategist Roger Fisk. Rick, the Biden administration has gone out of its way to not be like the Trump administration on this trip. Something underscored today, once again, by President Biden. Let's listen.
4: It's overwhelming the interest of the United States of America to
3: have a great relationship with NATO and with the EU. I have a very different view than my predecessor did.
2: And so, Rick Davis, do you think tariffs on aluminum and steel will go next? And why haven't they already?
4: Yeah, I think, uh, Joe, the point you were making with the former Secretary Carlos Gutierrez was right, which is if you're going to do this deal on Boeing and Airbus, why wouldn't you do the same thing on getting the tariffs dropped on steel and aluminum? Uh, Both Trump-era deals, uh, both uh, regressive in nature, uh, and and both uh, highly competitive with China. I mean, I think one of the points you made was how does this affect the growing uh, aircraft industry in China? And I think part of what Biden was trying to communicate— is let's drop our fight so that we can concentrate both assets, Airbus and Boeing, on being more competitive against the Chinese.
2: Well, what are we doing here then, Roger Fisk? Is this, in fact, a bargaining chip the president can hold on to, or should this have been done already?
1: Well,
0: first off, to thanks so
6: much for having me. Congrats on the show, and I always enjoy being here with Rick. Yeah, I, I think this is classic Biden kind of incrementalism, right? To um, so your steel and aluminum point, they could have gone after, at that during this uh, visit. But there's an odd thing, and we're seeing it play out kind of in the Iran nuclear deal uh, in another way, which is, the Biden administration inherited a lot of these tariffs and sanctions, and they're the products of a governing philosophy that obviously he ran against and defeated. But at the same time, it turns around and gives him uh, a whole bunch of cards to play. Um, so the question more is, is, like, is it better for him to just kind of, you know, hit a complete reset across the board? Or it's more and I think, the Biden fashion to be incremental and somewhat moderate on these things, but also, you know, extend this out to get more concessions and things like that. So in an odd way, President Biden got a lot of cards uh, that he could play in his hands from his predecessor. It's very weird how life works out
2: like that. <laughs> it sure is. Rick, we heard from NATO yesterday and discussed it here on Bloomberg Radio about the growing military threat from China. It was acknowledged in the communique. But let's talk about the economic threat. With regard to this conversation, will deals like this one with Airbus and Boeing help America better compete with China? Well, I
4: think that uh, certainly it will help Boeing compete uh, in the China market. Uh, Anything that uh, creates more of a financial uh, uh, base, a stronger financial base for a company like Boeing, which has had its guts ripped out over a lot of controversies over the last five years, um, makes it better able to to compete. And the number one task is to try and force this competition into China. Uh, China's been protecting their industry and trying to grow their own. Boeing is a big boy on the block, and Chinese uh, buyers have been stacked up to buy Boeing product in the past. So this gives them, I think, a much better value proposition in the Chinese market and in markets that the Chinese
2: may ultimately try to compete with Boeing outside of the mainland. It's worth noting in that interview uh, that David Weston had with uh, Commerce Secretary Romando, uh, she did note that the U.S. is working with China, maybe pushing China is a better way to, to put it, pleading with China – to clear Boeing's 737 MAX. It's still banned there. How important would that be, Roger?
6: It would be significant. Um, And I was an appointee at Commerce, actually, uh, in the first Obama administration, and I did five or six trips through China. So I've been in the room when these things have been discussed over eight and nine and 10 hours. Um, Another thing about the Biden administration that I think is going to be very helpful is that he is returning to more of the traditional diplomatic machinery and entrusting more of the working groups. There's basically two sets of trade talks that have defined our trade relationship with China since roughly the Nixon administration. It's the Security and Economic Dialogue and the Joint Commission on Commerce and Trade. It's on the Secretary, Assistant Secretary, Deputy Assistant Secretary level that really get into the granular elements of government procurement, protection of intellectual property, and things like that. All of those went went into limbo for four years. And It's not in the Chinese nature to necessarily do huge deals, quote-unquote, which is why I was always skeptical of the previous administration saying that one was constantly around the bend. You yeah. need to just be constantly involved with them and, and, and giving an inch, getting an inch, giving a couple inches, getting a couple inches, etc. That's how this stuff gets done. So I think... The signal that the president is sending is we are now shoulder to shoulder with the other democracies. We're going to be facing you as a United Front, and that's great for American consumers.
2: As we turn back to our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist and principal of New Day Strategy, thanks to you both for being here. Roads, bridges, tunnels, we hear about it just about every day. Everyone says they need to be fixed, but no one can agree on an infrastructure bill. We are still talking about this. Lawmakers back in town today, the White House says it will give Democratic and Republican senators about a week or 10 days more. That's a quote to find a bipartisan deal. After that, Democrats presumably go on their own. Now, we heard today from Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana and one of the lawmakers working on a bipartisan deal. Here he is. There's
3: still some things that are left up in the air. It's not written in stone, but. but it's enough that both Democrats and Republicans as part of the group are taking it to our colleagues to see if they can be interested as well.
2: We'll see. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, again, Democratic strategist Roger Fisk are with us today. Roger, you spent a lot of years working for the Obama administration, which spent a lot of time making the case for shovel-ready jobs. Remember, a long time ago, it was not always a successful message. Should the administration here, the Biden administration, embrace something more traditional, including this $1.2 trillion deal reached by this bipartisan coalition last week?
6: Well, that's the interesting thing, right? And I think this is the genius of President Biden starting with as high a price tag as he did, because he's essentially already won, right? Even if if he just throws up his hands and says, we will get bipartisan votes or, or we won't, it'll still be the largest infrastructure package in a generation. So, Anything from here on out is essentially just the cherry on the on the Sunday. Um, But I think he has all along been sincere. You know, uh, the progressives have already uh, always uh, criticized um, President Biden and previously Senator Biden as being far too willing to be bipartisan and jumping in on things like the crime bill and other things like that. And I mentioned that because I think he's very sincere in wanting this to have a broad uh, support structure. Within you know, uh, within Congress and things like that. But they, you know, as you hear, there's an expiration date, right? The clock is ticking, yes. and sooner or later, they can just do it alone, and he wins
2: either way. Rick Davis, the Biden administration has has called a lot of deadlines here. We've drawn a bunch of lines. Now here we are in the middle of what is it? June? Are you about to tell me uh, about Joe Biden's genius strategy? Stop
4: the clock. <laughs> we've had so many uh, deadlines pass that I don't think clock is a term that we want to use anymore. Uh, look, the reality is that um, uh, Joe Biden's a moderate, right? And he, he wants to do a deal with Republicans. Uh, he thinks he needs to to get this kind of legislation passed. And right now he's given plenty of space for the moderate Democrats in, in the United States Senate to do deals. Uh, mm-hmm. Kristen Cinema and Rob Portman have been working hard on, on the current one um uh Shelley Moore capito was the lead republican in the previous one and it's all merging and i must say today was the most positive i've heard a dozen republicans out there talking about this they all left this lunch today saying wow we could actually get yeah. a infrastructure bill the downside is it puts a big you know load on chuck schumer then to make the the democrats especially the 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 liberal wing of the democratic senate happy And that means a separate bill, reconciliation, you know, Mm -hmm. for the carbon emissions and home care for the elderly, that's not going to make it into this bill. And and how he pays for that is going to be a really tough slog in his own caucus.
2: Well, as usual, Rick leads me right to where I wanted to go. Not all Democrats like the direction we're going in here, of course, especially when it comes to who is going to pay for this. Listen to Senator Ron Wyden from today, a Democrat from Oregon. Here he is.
5: Most of what is being discussed in this effort would heap new taxes on working people. And it just seems to me when these mega corporations and the most wealthy use the roads, they ought to pay their fair share.
2: Okay, Roger Fisk, what does Joe Biden do with that argument? Every Democrat he loses means one more Republican he needs.
6: Well, I think a couple of bridges in Senator Wyden's it just fell off the list right there <laughs> with that little, with that little clip. But no, I think he, I think he stays um, laser focused on the, the messaging around no taxes raised on anyone below four hundred thousand dollars. I, I hear you when you lament the number of deadlines that we have had, but it pales compared to the thirty or forty infrastructure weeks that we had with the previous <laughs> crew. So Someone I, had I least to say it. At least there's an actual piece of legislation. But I think the president just has to stick to his guns. And then to your point from a moment ago, make sure that this is front-loaded with a couple dozen projects that really can be employing people, you know, by September or something. Because these Mm -hmm. things have to have an immediate impact and be felt at the kitchen table no later than next May if they're going to impact next fall.
2: You can say it out loud, Roger. You can say shovel-ready on this program. Just kidding. One, of, me. one of the big sticking points is climate though we're going to get into this a little bit more later uh in the hour with congresswoman gwen moore but i want to hear from both of you on this initiatives to increase energy efficiency in schools or to invest in more energy efficient uh, public transportation uh roger you worked for a lot of years on policy with senator john Kerry, who's now the president's advisor on climate are these efforts going anywhere is this a worthy discussion to have right now
6: I think that the air war is the emissions and the larger industrial component. The ground war can actually be hand-in-hand with the jobs message, which is retrofitting schools, doing some of those things that we've talked about. Our infrastructure, one of the last things I did with Vice President Biden, the second um, Obama and Biden administration, was a tour of port. And this applies directly to the C-19 conversation with Secretary Gutierrez, there's a whole class of freighter right now running around the world that our ports aren't even big enough to accommodate, where we've allowed ourselves to lapse into this obsolete infrastructure so that we can't even accept the biggest freighters running around the world in in, in daily global commerce. We've got to get deadly serious about this. And yes, it's a challenge job-wise because it's going to require investment. Sometimes that doesn't manifest for two or three years, but it's the right thing to do.
2: Rick, I'm sorry we're about out of time, but is is President Biden going to regret spending time talking about climate change in an infrastructure deal?
4: Well, it just depends upon what state you're talking about, because a lot of this is going to be state-level funding, and some of that uh, COVID money can be used for these
2: retrofits. So watch the governors take a lead on this. I'm Joe Matthew, live from Washington. Thank you for joining us on Sound On. The Biden administration is making deals overseas. We've been talking about it throughout the hour. We saw one today with a truce. With the EU over aircraft manufacturing, but making deals at home has proven to be a bit more complicated, certainly when it comes to infrastructure. Lawmakers are back in town. The White House says it's going to wait a week, 10 days maybe, for a possible bipartisan deal on this. And we're joined now by Representative Gwen Moore of Wisconsin. Welcome, Congresswoman, to Bloomberg Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Well, it's great to hear your voice. And before we get into infrastructure, I just want to ask about something that just happened on the House floor. You're just running, and I do appreciate it, uh, from a really important vote uh, to honor members of the Capitol Police Department and the D.C. Police Department for their bravery on the 6th of January. How did you decide to do that?
1: Oh, you know, I think that was so important. You know, the lack of gratitude is one of the worst things you can commit. And these people literally, put their lives at stake in order to protect us. And then it's the least we could do considering um, that we just barely were able to, uh, to, to pass a, a bill to buoy the Capitol Police uh, and to provide them with the resources that they needed. Of course, we still have not passed the initiative to create a commission to find out what happened. So I think, you know, honoring them is really low-hanging fruit and the least we could do.
2: To be clear, though, you voted today to award a gold medal to those officers, and uh, in, in, in that was something that was considered for Eugene Goodman. But this will be an honor they'll all receive.
1: Absolutely, you know, we had all hands on deck. Uh, everybody was brothers and sisters at that time, uh, all working uh, without the proper resources, without the, the the proper numbers of folks, and without the intelligence really getting into their hands so that they could protect themselves. I think they all
2: are heroes. Well, I'm glad you're with us, and welcome back to Washington, Congresswoman. You said a couple of weeks ago with regard to infrastructure, quote, there's an expiration on hemming and hawing, unquote. I'm pretty sure my mom told me that at one point. So have you ruled out the possibility of a deal with Republicans at this point?
1: You know, I haven't ruled it out. Uh, but, of course, this is very time-sensitive. Uh, as I look at the current uh, proposal, uh, it seems that they actually uh, uh, um, uh, totaled about $1.2 trillion over eight years. That's kind of double what they had proposed at first. There is new spending in it. And, of course, they don't want any new tax increases. They can't lead with that. Um, and I'm concerned about um, about them wanting to just simply raise the gas tax. I don't think, first of all, it's enough, uh, but at least they're looking at some provisions for electric vehicles and to provide a, a, a funding stream for that. So I think that uh, they may be heading in the right direction. Um, uh, uh, they have three funding mechanisms, but and I and I don't approve of them sort of repurposing uh, the funding approved by for COVID-19 in March, mm-hmm. trying to recapture that money that has already been encumbered just hasn't been spent because there are multi-year things that need to be done with that money. And so I think that, um, uh, I, I think they may be heading in the right direction, but again, I renew what I said before, you know, the, 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 the clock is running down and uh, we can't hem and haw. Um, I, I do think that it's, really possible, and I'm not in the Senate, I do think it's really possible uh, that they're going to break this package up uh, so that they can pass something um, that is bipartisan and then leave the rest put in a reconciliation bill. That seems to be the most logical path uh,
2: forward. This uh, has been floated a couple of times recently. And boy, I tell you what, though, I'm hearing optimism in your voice that that we didn't hear a couple of weeks ago. Talk to me more about electric vehicles, whether it's uh, whether it's public fleets, school buses, public transportation. Some of your Republican colleagues say that's not infrastructure.
1: Well, and that's why I have this positive tone in my voice because <laughs> to have been able to move them to embrace some of the climate agenda uh, is a Herculean has been a Herculean task, uh, and so to the extent that they're ready to move us into the 21st century um, and uh, not cling to the coal and oil um, that is really uh, at the center of climate damage uh, is, is, is really very encouraging.
2: But, you know, the Republican argument in this case uh, to play the devil's advocate is bridges are falling down. We don't have time or money to be playing with electric buses. How is that in the same bill?
1: Well, You know, bridges are indeed falling down, Um, but in fact, uh, rebuilding the bridges won't get us the the clean air that electric buses will. Uh, It won't get us faster trains uh, 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 necessarily to just do the same old thing that we have done. I mean, we're really – I'm really proud of our evolution. I'm 70 years old, and I've seen a lot in my lifetime. Um, And innovation – is the only way that we're going to be globally competitive, um, that our, you know, continuing to cling to our coal-fired furnaces are, is going to leave us literally in the dust.
2: Well, you're getting right to the heart of the argument here. And just to push you a little bit more on that, is clean air infrastructure?
1: Well, it is to me as a person who had, who had her first asthma attack shoveling coal into a furnace. You know, I hail from Wisconsin, and, of course, I grew up. In a culture of clean air and clean water with the late great US Senator and Governor Gaylord Nelson, the father of birthday. Um, and so uh, I value this, and I have really uh, been uh, uh, very stressed out about the way that we've turned away from clean air and clean water. Uh, and I think that uh, it's something that we take for granted. But again, clean air is part of climate action. You know, as long as we have buses. Uh, running on fossil fuels, will have a lot of pollutants in the air, people will have heart disease, asthma, things that cost a great deal of money um, uh, in the long run. And so, uh, you know, again, America has been this great place of innovation for my entire life, and there's no point in turning back now.
2: So why not write a separate climate bill, or is that how this ends up? We have roads, bridges, tunnels, like you said, in one bipartisan piece of legislation, and then there's a climate infrastructure bill that might be a separate document altogether.
1: Well, I I tell you, there are geniuses over there who can figure all this out. (laughs) Um, But the thing that I am really happy about is that they're not going to leave us stranded. I guess one of the things I would worry about with regard to them breaking that part of the bill off is that we still have the um the investment in people agenda, which i think may be a great candidate for reconciliation you know that is the 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 the, the family care uh the child care uh, extensions of uh, those kinds of the the, the 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 people infrastructure um so I, I i you know i'm thinking that that would be a better use of that uh, last kick cat that budget reconciliation uh so I, I do think I, – I, I wouldn't want it to be separated like that.
2: But that would also indicate that you don't believe there will be much, if any, Republican support for, say, child care as infrastructure.
1: Well, I can tell you, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe that there aren't women uh, out there who aren't paying, you know, you know 30, 40 percent of their income for child care. Uh, when we look at the, at the at the economy, the k-shaped economy we experienced, it was a story of women losing their jobs. Um, and right now we hear employers uh, demanding that workers come back to work and they're essentially demanding that women come back to jobs that uh, first of all don't pay well and then come back in situations where their children are not yet back in school and where they don't have any, easy solutions for child care. Um, you know, as a mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, I can tell you that uh, the child care infrastructure, uh, the lack of it, or rather, is one of the reasons that we have seen um, like a, a 33-year low of, of women's participation in the workforce. Uh, and that is not sustainable. Women are not working just so that they can have Christmas money uh, or a little extra money, I mean, they are often, you know, the breadwinners in the family. And even if there um, is a solid marriage, uh, that household would not be able to run without women's earnings. And so um, the time has come for us to uh, include women uh, in the calculation of our, of our GDP and our economy. And we've got to calculate um, uh, th- this work support that they need. You know, we would never expect a man to go build the bridge without his tools, and women, <laughs> we need child care. Families need it. But primarily, the burden of finding the child care falls on some woman, and of course, some woman, she's going to exploit babysitting for little or nothing.
2: Representative Gwen Moore of Wisconsin, Congresswoman, I'm delighted you could be with us to talk about this critically important issue as the clock ticks. Thank you for being here, and thank you as well for acting to honor the heroes who fought to protect the Capitol in January. I'm Joe Matthew. You're listening to Sound On, and this is Bloomberg.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Steeple Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you
1: do if your data was working for you and not against you?